This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you like underground music, movies, and more, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed merch, vinyl, CDs, and more. Plug in the discount code 10OFF, T-E-N-O-F-F, for a 10% discount at portlanddistro.com. guys, welcome to another episode of Everything Went Black. I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in. Support has been great. I want to thank all the Patreon supporters out there. I feel like every couple weeks we get a bunch of new people joining. This week, the infamous Matt Bacon joins us of Bacon Bits. And he gives us a very unique, modern perspective on what it is to promote your own music. Any of you guys who are in bands, I urge you to check out his Instagram account bacon bits and uh, twice a day he gives some really valuable information before we get going i want to give a shout out to the other horsemen of the podcasting apocalypse so once you finish this episode be sure to check out the rest of the shows on monday we have brandon legion who brings us horror wolf 666 on tuesday we have the premier metal podcast of course that is into the necrosphere presented to you by Jackie Smith. Wednesday is Everything Went Black, which you're listening to right now. And I'm back on Thursdays, Necro Thursday, with Mike Scandato or Jeff Kashid, and sometimes all three of us, to talk about horror movies. On Sunday, my uh, cohort, Carl Hikara, brings you Soul Knox. We've been uh, doing a collaboration recently called Darkness Weaves, where one episode comes out on his podcast and one comes out on Everything Went Black. And we're going through the work of Carl Edward Wagner, a seriously overlooked author that worked within the realm of dark fantasy, weird fiction, and horror. And uh, we're going through the entire work of this guy. It's in the beginning. We have two episodes out. So check out both of our shows to get the full story. I'd like to thank everyone once again who has joined the Patreon. And if you want to support the show for as little as $1 a month, you can get access to weekly bonus content brought to you by myself and Ralph Schmidt. There's also a whole host of other things that we do on there. Uh, There's shows that are only available on the Patreon platform. There's uh, previews of upcoming music, like that sort of stuff. $5 a month. You get early access to the regular stream shows as well as the bonus material. And for $25 a month, you can sponsor the podcast. That means I will give you one ad read per month for your business, your project, your band, whatever. Even if it's your own podcast, I will give you a spot read at the head of of one episode per month. Also, I always forget to say this. Please follow us on social media. There's an Everything Went Black Instagram or on Facebook. And also, leave us a review. Five star, if you will, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your media. Dude, I honestly am interested in uh, really just what you do because we're we're in this modern world of... um, you know, in unconventional promotions, let's call it this, uh, use this term. We'll coin this term. Sure. All right. And um, guys from like the old school, like me, we don't really have a, a handle on how to communicate with people in this new world that we're, we're all enjoying right now. And I feel like, um, you know, younger, younger people like yourself uh, who are into cool stuff have like a, a better handle on that sort of thing. And I just want to, Educate myself, sure. and also there's you know there's there's people that listen that listen to this that are in bands, and uh, you know just yeah. kind of get get a feel for this whole thing, and also just how it seems very innovative the kind of thing that you're doing, you know what I mean? Is like, it? <laughs> I mean to me it does. I mean, um, you know, I mean I think you're you're. Well, I'll let you just you know 
get into it, like what your background is and, and how you, you sure. came up with this idea and like all that sort of business, you know? And, and, we'll I, get into it, yeah. and I honestly, dude, I, I, I feel like, um, I don't even really know how I know you, but I just know you, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, I think we met at Psycho California a million years ago. Yeah. Okay. Sure. I just remember seeing you around and being like, oh yeah, it's that, that's Matt, you know, it's a dude. And, uh, <laughs> and then like, I read, then when the last memory I really have of being like, oh, that's Matt, you know, was, was in France at, um, at health. Oh Yeah. And I think yeah. you, were, you were there with the Exhorter, I think, right? I was. Yes, I remember that day. That was the day we bumped into Dave Mustaine. And we were like, is Dave Mustaine dying? Dude, Dave Mustaine looked so just pale. And he looked like uh, like someone had like dehydrated him or something. No, I, I remember. Because I remember like I remember changing looks with you and Vinny. And it was like that thing of like, <laughs> did we just watch someone dying? Like, yeah. And, and he had, like, all these people around him, too, you know? Yeah. And uh, I was like, man, like, I, you know, this is crazy, you know? I mean, I like a whole Dave Mustaine thing, but that's probably not for today. No, no, no. <laughs> we, we don't want to slam. Or for the public record. Yeah, we don't, <laughs> we don't want to slam Dave too bad because he is, uh, you know, an innovator, and he's a guy who's important to everyone. And, uh, oh, 100%. You know, and I, I have for, nothing but respect for the guy, you know what I mean? For me with Dave, it's more like I think I always forget how big he is. Yeah. Well, a lot of that has to do with how, how much he complains about his the, the lack of success exactly yeah like i think we forget that like oh jason stain is like bigger than kill switch engage or something yeah yeah because who you think of as like a successful metal band because he has the violin out all the time you know what i mean and and you know, exactly, you know yeah. I, I was in metallica and like all this stuff when I'm, and then you're like oh poor dave you know, like he's not getting his uh, his his uh, roses on this, you know, but then, and then you look at his house and you're like, oh, right. Fuck you. Yeah. And I, don't, I don't feel bad for the guy. You know, not at all. So, you know, anyway. Yeah. Let's uh, let's do this thing. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, yeah, dude, your background, like I know a little bit about what you do. I mean, I've seen you on the uh, on Instagram primarily because I am not a TikToker, but my understanding sure. is that. All of your video work, your one-minute videos, originate on TikTok. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, it's sort of a little out of laziness, to be clear. So the way I do a lot of this stuff is I just create everything on TikTok because it has, like, better video editing tools or whatever. Right. And then I cut them to uh, – I just download them and throw them up on Instagram. You know that, but that's purely because I'm lazy, and I, and I just don't feel like doing it in a separate platform and whatever. Yeah. Um, it's kind of interesting though because you know initially the Bacon Spitz videos, my minute long, sort of four times a day daily advice videos. Uh, initially they were. Initially they were on Instagram, and I was only doing one a day. And then, and that sort of idea had generated from uh, a partner of mine. I was like, hey, you know, like I heard this thing that if you make a video every day, like, are you talking to the camera, giving advice? Like after a year, your life will change. And after a year of doing it, I was speaking at a conference in Norway and a bunch of crazy shit started to happen in my life. So, you know, uh, and so basically with all of this to circle back, you know, the idea is really like, oh, hey, like. I, you know, I'd been involved in the sort of heavy scenes, specifically black metal and hardcore from the age of about 14. Um, when I started this blog, Two Guys Metal Reviews, um, because I, I was living in France and in Europe, when you go on school trips, it's not like a day trip. It's like a week thing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like I like knew that like, all these kids, no, no one here listens to fucking swans and I'm not going to go be miserable for a week. That sounds dumb. So I pretended to be sick, got out of going and my parents were like, well, you can't just like not do anything. So I started this blog with my friend, uh, heroin Dan, who's like no longer on heroin, but oh, good. still one of my best friends. I'm glad there's not um, heroin anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, love heroin Dan. <laughs> and, um, 
but you know so we started this blog just as like a couple of kids and then he sort of like dipped out on it relatively early because i think he was really more into the web design side of things and he wasn't like the writing about bands but i kind of kept it going and i like slowly started to figure out like oh here's how you like write about metal and here's how you like reach out to pr people and get to do interviews and stuff and so i like before i really had figured out anything about the music industry i sort of understood i liked writing about bands and i could see like which bands were successful and which weren't based on their social presence right right because i could sort of like see what would get me more views you know um and then and that's kind of how i ended up meeting you right it's because i meet you shortly after i moved to america and I was interviewing bands in Psycho, California. I go to college, and I quickly realized this is not for me. Okay. Um, but while I was in college, I was working part-time at this music PR company. And so I ended up dropping out and moving to Brooklyn just so I can do that. That company kind of falls apart after a few months because the guy got a divorce. Um, and then I'm sitting there having to pay rent as a 19-year-old who's only ever worked in music. In Brooklyn, too. but what in Brooklyn, a place that it's not in really... Brooklyn too, where it's expensive. Yeah, exactly. So what I do is I figure out, um, Hey, well, a bunch of those clients from that PR company still want to work with me because a lot of them didn't know stuff. I thought was kind of basic, like running your Facebook page or whatever. And so I just started to help them. And then it just kind of evolved piece by piece into, Oh, Hey, now I am you know, this guy, I started working with Ripple Music uh, and I started to pick up a few other clients from there. And then eventually I started doing the daily advice videos because my friend said it might be a good idea. And very, very quickly that turned into a whole new level of thing. You know, like within a year I was being flown places to speak at conferences. Within I think a year and a half, I was speaking at a conference in Australia where they had me at like this really nice hotel. And I was like, yeah, this is... This is what I want. Oh, hell yeah, definitely. You know, so, you know, so it sort of emerged from that. And then, you know, in terms of like the education or the background, it just emerged from having this blog, going to tons of shows, building up a community, and then just like really focusing on listening and learning from people. You know what I mean? And just like trying to surround myself with guys who've been doing it a lot longer than me who had maybe a lot more wisdom than me, who I could go to and be like, hey, how do you do this thing? You know, or yada, yada, yada. And I just got really good at listening to those guys and really good at understanding like, hey, this is how you do that thing. This is what that's about. This is how you, whatever. You know what I mean? And I think that was really the thing that allowed me to... Uh, to reach another level until it sort of became the Bacon's Bits thing we all know and love. Yeah. Now the the one minute format is that uh, you know was is that limited by the the medium that you're using or the platform that you're using like that? 60 it's seconds. sort of limited by the medium. When I first started doing them on Instagram, they were limited to a minute, and then I switched over to TikTok, and they were limited to a minute. But now that's no longer a requirement. But I do think that going too much longer than that is counterproductive to what I do. Right. Um, not just because of like attention spans or whatever, because I don't actually believe in the shrinking attention span thing. I think that's a, I think that's a, a try hard myth. Um, but I do think that uh, what I'm doing is not entertaining enough to justify being more than a minute with my level of production value you know i think someone like jesse cannon does really good 20 minute long uh youtube videos you know that are deeply informative but he's also much more invested in the editing and formatting and all that other stuff right 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 i'm right. an asshole with an iphone you know uh i'm not really interested in being much more than an asshole with an iphone there is um, something nice though about a 60 second like factoid because i know like um yeah, for like, sure. Yeah, like when I try to learn languages, you know, uh, it it's like you want to believe that, oh, I'm going I'm to study, you know, French for like an hour every day. But you don't. You do like five minutes at a time or something like that. And then it's more like the repetition as opposed to the, the length of the session, I think, sometimes. So you're doing sure. like four one-minute segments every day. 
and I feel like that's a, probably a, a way more effective way of getting getting ideas out there than some long form piece. You know, I think so too. I definitely think the quantity of what I'm putting out has a big impact. Um, yeah, that, and that's definitely been a priority for me. Now, is there a lot of interaction, like uh, with people that follow you and everything? Like, you know, you put out these videos. Is there back and forth with your 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 audience at all? Somewhat, probably less than I'd like, uh, because I feel like a lot of the comments are just like "good idea" or whatever, which is fine. Obviously, I appreciate people commenting, but I don't have a lot to say based on that, you know. Um, you know, and, I, and then I get into interesting conversations with people like you or people in person who are like, oh, you're the Baconsmiths guy. Let me talk to you about this. Uh, you know, so sometimes, I don't know, but simultaneously, like, there's a lot of people who follow for more GM for private consultation, and that's turned into, like, a pretty decent-sized business. Um, you, you, you know what I mean? Like, and that's kind of one of the coolest pieces of it is that I've been able to kind of turn educating educating the youth into I don't know, I have like eight employees now. Like we're a fucking thing. Like people check it out. Yeah, so I you was gonna, I, mean? I was leading up to that now. I was like so as far as like, like you know monetization of the whole operation. Like and I think it's I think I probably have higher monetization per follower than pretty much anyone else. Um like across everything because i know how much like influencers with my amount of followers are supposed to make versus how much i make um you know but it's also because i think i'm a little more aggressive about the the sales process than most people are um you know but whatever uh that being said you know i also think there's a huge market of people who need fucking handholding you know there's a lot of people who who make music who have no clue what the steps are to put out a record like zero clue and having someone who will sit down and help you figure out from zero clue how to put out a record is really big for a lot of these people well i would i would say that most creative folks out there have very little um they don't have a lot of notions about the business side of things or promotion sure. or even, you know, because a lot of people, <clears throat> if you make music or art or anything, you are, uh, there. there's a level of insecurity, I think, about the quality of what you're doing. Like, I, you know, sure. most most people that make music are like, you know, they're, they're reluctant to share it with people, really. Sure. And um, so there there is this vibe of like, well, you know, who am I to like, you know, push this on anyone? You know what I mean? So... Whenever an artist is faced with promoting it, that always falls to the wayside just because of the in, the built-in, you know, reluctance and sort of uh, insecurity around it. So that's why you know someone like you is, is like an integral part. For of sure, and I think you also don't want to be. We've all met that asshole who promotes their music that's really not very good, and I think we're all terrified of being that guy. Or, or even people that are that do make good music. Uh, that are also very vocal about how awesome they are too. You know that that's oh, almost, almost even worse than the person who's not that good trying to put. Hundred percent. Yeah, and you're just like, <laughs> man, we know. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I also, but I think that it's just being a resource to people is important, and just like sharing information is important, and I think that a lot of it is kind of shrouded for no good reason. Um, and I think a lot of people are, a lot of people in the music business are way too pretentious about the relatively basic knowledge they hold, you know? Uh, and also I think having someone who can explain it to you on a more straightforward level is important. You know, I think one of my favorite compliments I've ever gotten, someone said, you know, talking to you is like hanging out in your buddy's basement as he shows you how to do some cool stuff. I'm like, yeah, that's the, that's the idea, you know? Now, do you, um, do you have like sponsorships or you want, you can, like, what's the monetization model with, with what you're doing? Well, there, you know, so there's people hitting us up for like whatever services, like ad campaigns, marketing strategy setup. Whatever, okay. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is that like a lot of like weirdly high level people watch what I do. Right. We're all like, I was like in the Sony office 
and a girl came up to me and was like, hey, I uh, I got my job here because of you. And apparently, like, I'd given her a bunch of advice. And now she's junior A in our Century Media. And that's really cool. You know what I mean? Um, and I feel like, and that's not to, like, brag about how great I am. It's just it's cool to see, like, the impact it has on that level. You know? And then that gets me, like, that helps me get into sort of the, the room for a lot of the things I get into the room for. Right. You know, there's also sort of this larger piece of like, it's kind of at a point now where any metal label meeting I go into, at least one person in that room, like, has already watched some of my videos and like, shit, brother, you're showing up trying to convince, you know, Sony to hire you to do some marketing campaign for someone. And two of the interns are like, oh my God, the fucking cigar guy. The cigar guy. <laughs> That's really helpful. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, that's really, like, that really makes it a lot easier to go in and close that sale, you know, because they're like, oh, like, the kids know who this guy is. Clearly, he's got something figured out. Um, do, do you know what I'm saying? No, I do. I and, mean, yeah, because it's a lot, a lot of it is, um, you know, things, you know, like, old, older people that have been around for a while, they don't understand the impact of, uh, of things that they might deem to be a little bit on the, uh, like, they don't, they undervalue the significance of stuff that happens on social media, basically, you know? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And it's just, like, it's just wild, like, the, the situations I've gotten into just because I, you know, like, like, I realized once I started hanging out with my girlfriend in East Germany where she lives... Like, how used to, like, this sounds horrible, but like, how used to going to shows and just, like, having, in a new city and just having some random person come up and be like, you're the Baconswitz guy. <laughs> be being like, yeah, okay, do you want to drink some beer? And, like, not having to, like, and then, like, I'm, like what ended up happening is, like, turns out one of the main promoters in Dresden, huge Baconswitz fan. I was like, this is great. Now we'll go to these shows. You know? Um... And I just feel like it's cool to see the impact something like that has had and the power of just like, and like, I think the thing that people don't understand is like when you're in someone's face four times a day, that level of impact is a lot higher than even if you are, you know, a fairly known musician. I would say that. Yeah, for sure. Cause I mean, because I'm just like there, you know, I'm just top of mind. Cause I think what, where most people struggle when it comes to promoting themselves is they aren't top of mind, right? So when a big part of my strategy is omnipresence and being top of mind, which is to say that I want it so that anytime you have a music marketing related thought, you say, I should hit up Matt Bacon. Because even if it's just to like share some knowledge or whatever, that is who I want to be. That is because I am trying to just own that space, right? So I want to be the first person anyone thinks of when they say, who, you know, oh, I have this music marketing question. I should be the guy you ask, right? Because that's the only way to really grow the business is to be that sort of market leader, right. you know? And mm -hmm. as I'm sort of like in a position with the company where we're taking it from sort of a cool DIY, company to I'm trying to sort of emulate something more like the syndicate or uh, hyperculture or something you know one of these like bigger metal agencies because I sort of I'm serving the same clients around the same services so it's like I need to look like that I know that the advantage I'm still going to have over them is I'm much more I have much more brand presence than either of those companies do. Yeah, because they're these kind of faceless uh, monoliths. You know what I mean? Yeah, Where, yeah. And they're really cool and they do really good work. Yeah. You know they don't need social presence because they're that good. I'm just an asshole. You know I don't have the twenty years out of label and knowing everyone and and that's which is how you kind of traditionally grow this type of business. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, exactly, dude. And also, um, you know, there's that uh, complacency that comes with success in the long term. 100%. And yeah. this is something I struggle with. Yeah. You know, like, there's definitely a piece of me that's just like, oh, okay, like, I, I make enough money now. Let me just, uh, 
go on vacation and eat bonbons. And then I see, ah, those end of month numbers are what they were supposed to be. Okay. Clearly I can't do that yet. That's so interesting, man. And honestly, I've always looked at PR as this kind of like uh shark infested sort of like, 100% yeah 100%. where there, there's always some like young buck out there who's looking to take away everything you know and 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 you could even see it over the last you know a couple of decades of like you know companies coming and coming and going like this agency was like the hype agency for a number of years and now no one knows who they are you know yeah I also think part of that is because I don't really do PR partially for that reason is I think that it's inherently sort of um i don't want to say it's inherently sort of a tricky business because you know 80 percent of your results like 80 percent of the benefit rather comes from like the top like three to five pieces of coverage and i don't know the amount of value you're getting out of a lot, especially in metal, a lot of these smaller sites. And I say that as someone who runs a smaller site, but I run it for me, you know? Um, and I think that like PR in and of itself is just, it's tricky. And if you're, and, and America versus Europe is also two very different things, but it's just, I don't know, like a lot of that stuff just doesn't make sense to me when you can pay, and PR is also expensive. Yes, it is very expensive. Um, yeah, they just swallowed a bug. God Uh-oh. damn it! Oh no! <laughs> Flew right into my mouth. <laughs> anyway, that's my that's my life. Well, Swall- eating bugs with Matt Bacon. But um, <laughs> all this to say, like, on that PR note, um, yeah, I just I, I sometimes sit there and I, I go like, this is cool, but like aren't you better off creating a bunch of extremely relevant content and then like running some very cool ads and like, you know, rather than going and getting in, and this is not to like talk shit, but like metal injection, which has a very broad audience. If tombs could directly just get in front of fans of relevant black metal bands, isn't that a better investment? Um, You know, I don't think PR is completely invalid. I just, I sometimes don't know if that's where all the money needs to be going all the time. Right. I mean, I brought PR up because what you do is adjacent to that, but it also, it also feels to me like the way in the last several years, just the way that business is conducted and the way that things are done is like evolving and changing with, um, you know, the, this digital sort of society that we live in and the way that everyone has access to so many things at once, you know? Sure. Sure, which is like part of the, you know, especially in the over the pandemic, you know, it really helped. It really showed how much the older metal scene is lagging. When you look at how like a label like Magnetstop was able to just crush everyone, you know what I mean? Yeah. In a way, you know, and just like pick up every hype band is on Magnetstop or Barbaric Brutality, like that, or at least that's how it feels in death metal. You know, like that's what everyone under twenty five likes those are the bands that are going to have a legacy. You know, I don't see those bands going to some of these bigger guys. They will eventually. But right now, you know, and what are those companies doing? They're using like hip hop marketing. They're like Instagram focused. They're, you know, and that makes way more sense when you think about it. Yeah, that's always been like the go-to when it comes to like, uh, you know, getting a high yield for like small capital investment, I guess. You know what I mean? hundred percent. And I feel like the way they do it is really clever. You're right. Cause they're like cultivating an aesthetic. They're not really like worried about a lot of the stuff labels traditionally worry about because they don't have to be. Now, let me ask you a question about, uh, this is like kind of a generational thing, I guess is, do you think metal is still going to be relevant? Like going forward? I mean, you know, I, I see young, young people actually, um, Last week, I went to see I Hate God and Goat Whore play. Sure. And I was astounded by how many young younger people were at that show. Cause, you know, I Hate God's been around for, you know, decades at this point. And, and Goat Whore, too. Goat Whore, too. They, exactly. They've been around almost as long as I Hate God, really. I remember Goat Whore from the late 90s, you know. 
Um, and I was really reassured that, uh, you know, that there's some, a lot of young faces there because primarily it's always been like old, older people like checking those bands out. And with all the different styles of music that are coming out, you know, trap is really big or has been big for a long time. And, and how do you think metal fits into that with like newer generations? I mean, I think it's interesting. I, um, you know, I feel like metal got dramatically less interesting in the period leading up to the pandemic and right before the and during the pandemic. And then it sort of came out swinging. Like there was definitely a point where I was, I'm 27 and up until pre-pandemic, I was perpetually the youngest person in Vitus by like 10 years, it felt like. And, you know, now I see like other young people or people younger than me in Vitus, which I always kind of used as the metric. Right. And I feel like this is for a couple reasons is, um, first and foremost, the audience for broad picture, extreme heavy music has grown significantly over the pandemic in particularly because of TikTok and because of, uh, these labels that really understood how to use Instagram to promote themselves. You know what I mean? I feel like what's been happening is a lot of kids saw really sick live videos on, on TikTok, And then we're like, Oh, I want to go experience that. And now suddenly the hardcore scene is bigger than it's been in decades. Right. Because it's, you know, it's really, a live video of a hardcore show is really good at showcasing the benefits important to the client. You know, it's really good at showcasing like, Hey, you're going to go to this. You're going to get to punch someone in the face. It's going to be tight. And, you know, and so I feel like that's sort of happening. I feel like cup sites like revolver are doing a really good job of sort of, again, bringing that sort of hype culture into the thing. Um, You know, I also think, I also think these things come in waves and at long last, you know, a lot of these bigger European metal festivals have sort of become okay with an Amon Amarth headline, which sounds silly because Amon Amarth has been a band for 30 years basically at this point. Yeah. But that's a hell of a lot better than it was before the pandemic. Oh yeah, man. I mean, you know I what mean, I mean? Yeah, like yeah, the... the fact that you have ghost headlining, ghosts been around for, you know, literally like 15 years. You know, like suddenly we're starting to see, okay, there are these younger bands starting to like get a shot and it's becoming significantly less cringe than it was. And the connections to hardcore and stuff are really benefiting it a lot. Yeah. I, I, uh, real quick about Europe and metal, um, you know, the festival scene over there, for the most part, is very traditional. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you'll have, like, you know, your Iron, Iron Maidens headlining and your Judas Priests. And, and those are, you know, mo- iconic bands, obviously. I mean, everyone should listen to that music. But at some point, probably not too many years from now, we're not going to have those guys oh. anymore. Oh, yeah, no. You know? So there, there needs like, to be uh, new new standard bearers, you know? And there are new standard bearers. It's just they're... And I also think that, like, people bring up that conversation, but they do it from, like... Like, one of the things I always point out is, like, there are new standard bearers, you just don't like them. <laughs> right? Like, if you look, like, um, my hot take is the most important band in extreme metal right now is Five Figure Death Punch. Okay. Because no other band who has gotten popular in the last 15 years has uh, extreme vocals and isn't doing some retro sound. Like, like they're the biggest of any of those bands who have extreme vocals and are not retro. You know, there's a few other things that are up there, like Parkway Drive, but they definitely don't have the the scope of a five finger death punch yet well actually um, Par- parkway drive i think they headlined hellfest the main uh, not hellfest but they headlined vakin vakin um yeah and they've definitely done a bunch of stuff like parkway drive is definitely like getting there yeah for sure but i also think that you know so like 
but here's ultimately the thing, right? Is like Parkway Drive is, you know, gonna go and they're gonna play 3,000 tap rooms or whatever, which is cool, you know, but they're not, you know, they're certainly not cult or evil. They're not Lamp of Murmur or something. Um, you know, except like when you think about it, you know, Parkway Drive are a pop band. Very much. But when you think about it, like Judas Priest in 1976 is a heavy pop band. Well, yeah, let's remember that in the 70s, metal was playing arenas. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. you know, and, and just like the type of songwriting, like, I don't, nobody really considered that. Like, they considered the metal. What did that mean? It just meant, oh, it's like pop with guitars. Yeah, heavy, yeah, heavy guitars. You know, like, there's souls. no, like, weird, like, you know, like fucking like suicide or like I don't know what's another like weird avant seventies thing that's I think that you and I think is interesting. Like those guys don't play arenas. Those guys never did. Yeah, like throbbing. You know, like throbbing gristle or something. Yeah, like, like that. Yeah. I think it's silly to like think like oh well, the underground bands I like should be headline. It's like no man, like the equivalent of a Judas Priest is Parkway Drive, which like whether you like it or not, is what it is. Yeah, that's an uncomfortable because, thing, man. That's like that's a, that makes people uncomfortable to think that way. But it's the truth, though. You know. I mean, well, because like at the end of the day, or like even like you want to go like for a respected metal band, like even like Lamb of God, right? Because like at least Lamb of God are like writing these big hooks, and it's like fun, for lack of a better term, you know. And they're like writing with that in mind, and you know, and I don't think all that has to be quote unquote bad in the critical view i think a band like gojira is going to be on that arena level pretty soon and i think they're pretty broadly respected yeah uh, i would say you so. know i think that their ability to go from being like a real death metal band to all clean all clean vocals is crazy honestly yeah i i definitely like gojira man i, I have a lot of respect for them and their music is interesting to me you know i mean i mean i, I don't i mean obviously i my bandwidth of listening goes way beyond extreme music, but so oh, hundred percent, yeah. 100%. So I, mean, I can appreciate just, stuff that's not you know extreme all the time, you know. Yeah, no, and I'm yeah, and I'm sorry, I wasn't trying to like imply otherwise. Um, anyway, yeah, yeah. So you know, whatever. There are new standard bearers. Most people just don't like them, and that's okay. You know, I also think there's sort of this piece of like. You know, those bands don't wear, like, past jackets with Saxon on them because they're trying to appeal to, like, people under 50. <laughs> so, sorry, I guess. Saxon. Um, and I like Saxon. Like, yeah. I'm not trying to talk shit. Like, I love all those bands. You yeah. know, like, I have definite old guy taste. But, like, yeah. come on. Like, let's, uh, let's look at this critically. Well, I mean, it's the same criticism i have when i hear guys like isan talk about or even uh, uh nurgle from behemoth talk about how there's nothing interesting in, in black metal and i'm just like dude have you listened to anything in the last like 15 years you know and tell me that there's not i mean there's incredible bands coming out from all over the globe on a monthly basis i hear of new albums that are fucking amazing that are yeah taking well, it's for me yeah for me it's like sorry your friends aren't putting on interesting music anymore i guess and and, and and these and these people too. I mean, as much as like I love, you know, mid period behemoth, I don't think they've really done anything interesting in the last couple records, honestly, you know. I think what's interesting with Behemoth is sort of their I really admire his willingness to be people's gateway to black metal, for better or for worse. But I think that to have that willingness is pretty cool and pretty exceptional. Right, but his denigration of new bands doing oh yeah, that's lame. That that's that is completely weak, in my opinion. It's like you should try to encourage people to start their own bands and do their own thing and express themselves, you know, instead of saying like, oh well, you know, it's all been done because it hasn't, you know, and it, and there's a clear, clear picture that it hasn't all been done because of all these incredible bands I keep hearing all the time. Yeah, well, yeah, just the impact of like something like Black Braid, where it's like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Like, that's, you know, and it's like, and Black Braid is interesting because they're doing it in a way that isn't heavy-handed the way the previous generation of 
I don't want to call it folk metal, but I don't really have a better term, was so heavy-handed, you know. Um, or Lamp of Murmur. It's just like a great extension on a lot of stuff. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I haven't heard uh, them yet, actually. Blackberry, I'm oh, familiar really? with, but I haven't, I haven't heard that other band that you're talking about. What are they called again? Oh, dude. Uh, I gotta, I'll, I'll send you a link. Yeah, please. It's fucking tight. Please do. The new record is real good. Yeah, are they um, are they American or European? They're American. They're from California. Oh, which okay. Is, uh, you know, I'm not sure how I feel about any American black metal, but I guess these guys get a pass. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm always looking for new stuff to listen to and check out. And, you know, yeah. No. Steel, Here, I'll get this over to you. Right steel, now. steel riffs from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you and me both. Um. Anyway, sorry. So where were we? Oh no, we were just talking about uh, you know the new the new wave of stuff and the new way of things. You know, I think that's kind of like why what this this whole conversation has been going towards. You know, and sort of like the old stuff being maybe in the twilight of of its lifetime. You know, maybe I'm talking about in the way that things are done. You know, it's sure. like back in the day, sure. people used to send faxes. You know. Yeah, and now we're just on this other side. Yeah. Yeah, now we're just in this other world where faxes are irrelevant and landlines are irrelevant, you know, and that sort of thing. And uh yeah, it's just really interesting to me um how things change, you know, and But yeah. I would say that I think a lot of this kind of stays the same. Like I feel like I feel like a lot of this stuff it feels different because the platform is different, but conceptually it is the same, if that makes sense. Yeah. But by which I mean, like, okay, so like you have one of the best ways to blow up your band right now is to get on, to get featured as a hardcore band, to get featured on a hand, one of a handful of hardcore TikToks uh, where they post really sick live clips um, from Hate Five Six videos, basically, mm-hmm. or similar companies or creators, okay? And it's like, well, that's like functionally the same as your cool live video getting onto MTV and it's like literally being curated by a personality. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I just feel like that's, you know, or like even like you could argue that tape trading basically exists in, you know, I feel like that's part of why Bandcamp is so beloved. Is that like you can be a music nerd with all your music nerd friends. And just go on these Bandcamp deep dives and discover interesting stuff. Oh yeah, dude. That's right. That's, and like a lot 100%. of guys who I know who are like those guys in the nineties are like doing that now on Bandcamp, right? Like that's kind of what it is to me. Um, you know, it's 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 that same mentality, it's that same tape trader thing, it's the same you know, this is just what I think you know, you and I are sort of our music nerds and sort of like early adopters. And that's not only are music nerds and early adopters, that's a core piece of our identities. Yeah. Yeah. You know, right. I, I also love Bandcamp just even as a creator, like you can make, I could write something tonight and have it out tomorrow, you know? And it's, yeah, exactly. And it's like, and it gives you this flexibility and this, this fluency. And it's like, this is what we want, you know? Um, and it's just like, uh, yeah, I don't know. But but again, I just think all these things are kind of the same. It's even like with the ad stuff. It's like buying ads in one magazine versus another. You know, like the clever guys, you know, if you're promoting tombs, you're going to go and you're in Europe where magazine ads really matter. Like you shouldn't buy ads in Metal or you should buy them on like one of the cool little black, you know, Metalion or something like where they're like focused on featuring black metal. Yeah. You know, like, cause that's, that's what helps. I mean, no. but like we just can do it better than we used to. Yeah. And it's more accessible and it's no longer, you know, no longer has to just be white people. <laughs> yeah, that's true, man. <laughs> I mean, well, Matt, thanks a lot, man. This is, awesome and um thank you if anyone out there if they're not following you what's uh what's your your handles bacons.bits everywhere go check it out i have literally four videos a day 
telling you how to market your band or music or whatever better. I've had a lot of people who are not in music tell me they help too. So, you know, go give them a, go give them a watch. Hopefully, hopefully you learn something or you make fun of my memeable personality. Well, it's also, it's very entertaining too, as, as well oh. as informative. So there you go. That's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> That's our endorsement here at Everything Went Black. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad I got no, it. It was a pleasure talking to you, Matt. For sure, dude.